You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from the US. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you are listening to your favorite international podcast. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. We're so grateful that you took the time out of your day to listen to us talk about all things murder, mystery, and macabre. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we like to talk about the creepy things, and we're glad that you are here to talk about it with us. Yeah. I need to apologize for not being there last week for game night uh, for our murder tier patrons. I was battling a horrible headache, and I was hoping it would go away until midnight my time, which is when game night started. But it didn't get better. I missed you guys, but I heard you had a lot of fun. We missed you too. Yeah, we did have a good time. And you That's never good. have to apologize to me for having a headache, girl. I mean, come on. Yeah, but you're always so brave and pull through. I'm just no, so it's whiny. because I'm it's because I'm highly medicated, shall we say, so frequently for it. But yeah, we had a we had a really good time. It's always nice to take take some time and chat with everybody and play inappropriate card games. Also, I just want to let everybody know that I am not at home recording. I am down at the little cottage that we have. Opus's surgeon for his upcoming neuter is nearby, and so we had that appointment today. But that's where I am. I am in like a 100-year-old, tiny little cottage with no insulation. So I've got my magical foam box here, and I've got my fingers and toes crossed that it'll be pretty quiet, but... You might hear chirping or I don't, who can say it's ghosts. I don't know what you might hear in the background. (laughs) Opus, drinking water in the kitchen behind me. What else I have to say? Yes, please do us the huge, 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 huge favor to vote for us in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. You have the chance to vote for us in the first round up until the end of July. So please go to podcastawards.com. And vote for us in the categories, Best Female Hosted, True Crime, History, and you can also find us in the People's Choice category. That's right. And we are defending our title as the winners last year of Best Female Hosted, which I still can't believe, even though I've got the beautiful trophy, my only trophy, my precious. Yeah, I, I. it's amazing to me. And there's also a spot for when you first sign up for the biggest podcast influencer of the year. And I voted for you. So I voted for you. (laughs) It's super important that you use a valid email address because you will need to verify it. Otherwise, your vote won't count. Yeah. Also, please check uh, the box that asks you if you want to be considered for voting for the final round, because they will randomly pick 20,000 voters to vote for the final. And it would be awesome if many of our listeners would be there to vote for us, you know? Yeah, they make it really hard to cheat. And I think that's great, actually, because in the general wide world of podcasting, like you can pay for reviews. Mm. There's so many ways that um, podcasters can sort of cheat the system to gain popularity. And I mean, I'm not judging if we had the funds for that, I'd probably think about doing it too. No, but I like the podcast awards because it really is, there's this, it gives the the little independent podcast a chance to to win a trophy, actually. Exactly. And I think that's great. Yes, that's exactly where I was going to. So you have to verify your address. You only get a couple of emails from them. They're not going to spam you or share your information. Mm -mm. 
I was not chosen to vote in the finals last year, so I was sad about that. Last year, I didn't even know how it's going to work. Like, everything no. was a surprise for me last year. Yeah. So that's that's what you need to know about the podcast awards. So let's get on with today's case. And because we did talk about a lot of very disturbing, kind of creepy, gruesome mm. murders recently, we thought maybe it would be nice to just do something non-murdery, something mysterious, maybe something in the cryptozoology department. So today... We are excited to talk to you about the Enfield monster. Now, you shouldn't confuse this with the Enfield poltergeist that we also covered. The Enfield poltergeist takes place between 1977 and 1979 in Enfield, England. And if you want to know more about that case, please go to episode 52, because we did cover that case for our one-year anniversary. The Enfield monster does also take place in the 1970s, but it's the early 1970s, in 1973. And it takes place in the United States, in Enfield, Illinois. Not Enfield, Connecticut, where I used to eat at the Abdow's Big Boy after the roller rink, or Enfield, New Zealand, which I would very much like to visit. This Enfield is in Illinois. And it's a tiny village. Over the last 140 years, there were never more than a thousand people that were living in Enfield. In the 1970s, the population was about 760 people, so small. Enfield lies 124 miles or 200 kilometers east of St. Louis, Missouri, and 160 miles or 257 kilometers west of Louisville, Kentucky. So, how is life in Enfield nowadays? So, this is from bestplaces.com. And they say, uh, quote, the cost of living. Compared to the rest of the country, Enfield's cost of living is 29.9% lower than the U.S. average. Weather and climate. September, May, and October are the most pleasant months in Enfield, while January and December are the least comfortable months. That's a nice way to describe yeah. things, isn't it? You can come visit me in Boston in February, but it is one of the least comfortable months. <laughs> So the article continues, population, quote, Enfield's population is 548 people. Since 2020, it has had a population decline of 27.2%. As for transportation, the average commute time is 24.8 minutes, as compared to the national average, which is 26.4 minutes. Not anywhere near me. I mean, I don't think I ever, when I was living in the city, except the few years I lived in Boston, I don't think I ever had a commute that was less than an hour, ever. Real estate, the median home cost in Enfield is $45,500, and home appreciation in the last year, 10 years has been 1.3%. Schools, Enfield Public Schools, spend around $9,421 per student. The average school expenditure in the U.S. is $12,383. There are about 14.5 students per teacher in Enfield. So, end quote. But 14.5 students per teacher is a lo it's low. It's, it's a low great. Number. Yeah, that's a great yeah. student-to-teacher ratio. Yeah. Not going to lie, that sounds pretty sweet to me, especially the commute time and the, the cost of real estate. Yeah, I, I literally did a double check and logged on to Zillow to make sure that the real estate was correct. But it is pretty accurate. It's a tiny village, though, mm. less than less than a thousand people. And I think it is a um, lower income community for sure. You know, what is what else to say about Enfield? Oh, the late Red Sox pitcher Lefty Jamerson is from there. 
and it's also the home of Mule Day, which is a festival that was started in 1921, making it one of, quote, the oldest continuous festivals in southern Illinois, end quote. So apparently Enfield used to be known as the home of the best mule breeders in, in Illinois. And so if you needed to buy a mule, off you went to the quaint little town with picnic basket in hand, looking for the best mule that you could purchase. I don't really know how much mule you get for the money. Probably lower than horse money. It's gotta be. Yeah, I feel like mule money is attainable. That's something you can hope for. But uh, today there are parades, gospel choirs, a cakewalk, a pet parade, and of course the Mule Day Queen. So honestly, they had me at cakewalk and pet parade. Enfield, I want to visit you. I want to be the Mule Day Queen. Just call me the Mule <laughs> well, Queen. I, Can I be I'm gonna the vote mule for queen? you, but I'm gonna be at the cakewalk if you if you are looking for me. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'll go to celebrate how mulish I am. All right. So this takes place in 1973. In April of 1973, in the home of a man named Henry McDaniel. Henry was a 50-year-old antique dealer, and he was living in a home with his wife, and they had three kids. And it depends on which articles you read. Some say that the kids were still living at home, others say they weren't, so I have honestly no idea what's the truth there. And it was the night of 25th of April, 1973, and he had just returned home from a meeting when he heard a strange scratching noise on his door. So something was clearly scratching on the outside of his door. And I take it that just like here, probably even more so in the US, those country folks are not easily scared of noises in the night. And rather than hiding under the blankets, one would investigate and see what's going on, right? And so Henry throws the door open and he sees a figure standing before him. Again, depending on the sources you read, the figure was either standing pretty close to the door or, which is what I read more often, that he was standing a few feet away between some rose bushes. And he described what he saw as follows, quote, It had three legs on it, a short body, two little short arms and two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half to five feet tall and was grayish colored, end quote. So that reminds me a little bit of the Hopkinsville Goblins, doesn't it? Yeah, in that description, yeah. Big flashlight mm -hmm. eyes and the gray body and the... Even the legs, because the little short arms. But the goblins were smaller, right? I think the... so. They were smaller. I think they were smaller, yeah. yeah. So Henry sees that, but he's not shy, and so he slams the door shut, turns around, races to his bedroom, where he grabs a pistol and a flashlight. Uh, by the way, he once shot through his bedroom wall because he heard something on the other side of that wall outside. So mm. that's the kind of person he is. <laughs> so he has his, his flashlight, he has his pistol, and he runs outside, shining the light around, trying to find the creature. And then he sees it in a distance of roughly 12 feet. And he gives it a good old American welcome. Without a warning, he fires a couple of shots at the grayish creature. And after the first shot, he hears a strange hissing sound, according to Henry, much like a wildcat. And he figured he must have hit it. But that didn't stop him from firing three more shots at it. And then he saw the creature bolt off. But it didn't run, it jumped. It made three giant leaps that made it cover a distance of 15 meters or 50 feet, and then it was gone. Henry was in shock. I mean, you can be tough as nails, but the sight of a three-legged gray thing with pink flashlight eyes would probably shake most of us. 
Yeah. But Henry still managed to call the police. They arrived and searched around, but they didn't find the creature. They did, however, find footprints. Paw prints? Footprints? Prints. The find prints. The creature left prints. <laughs> they apparently looked like dog's paw prints, in a way, just with five to six toes, and not four like dog have. And anyway, Henry McDaniel was no fool. He knew that he hadn't seen a dog. I mean, he owns dogs, so... Yeah, most of us can a identify dog. a dog. Like, yeah. It's one of the first words we learn as kids, right? So now we're going to discuss the different theories a bit later, but it really does kind of remind me of the Dover Demon and the Kentucky Goblins. And I'm sure that you all have a lot of thoughts already on what this could have been, but first, let's talk about what happened next. Uh, so the screen door was pretty much ruined, shredded in several spots, indicating that the creature had tried to get into the house. One article also mentioned a slimy substance on the ground. The police wrote down that Henry McDaniels appeared to be completely sober, coherent, and talking clearly in an irrational manner. Well, Henry McDaniel gives a pretty detailed description of what he saw, and he doesn't only give this to police, but also to the press. He said, for example, that the upper body looked almost human-like, and when they asked him how he could describe this quote-unquote monster, which is what they had started calling it, the Enfield monster, so how could this creature, how could he see this creature so well and in such detail, even though he only saw it for a very short moment in the dark while he was stressed out and in such a state of shock? And Henry McDaniel simply replied with, quote, I have a photostatic memory, end quote. I'm really jealous. I'm amazed and absolutely fascinated by people who have photo photographic, is the other way you'd say that, uh, memories. It's so incredibly wild to me, isn't it? Just to be able to... I cannot even imagine. No. <laughs> like, seriously. So useful. So useful. So when the word of Henry's encounter started to spread in Enfield, some kids came forward and they said that they had seen something that matched Henry's description, and it was near their school. Now, Henry was sure that once they would find the monster, they would find more than one, and they would not be from this planet. On Monday, the 30th of April, 1973, the Evansville Courier printed the following article, quote, Man claims sighting of three-legged monster by Bob Mady, Courier Tri-State Reporter. Enfield, Illinois. Will it be another legend of Boggy Creek? Or is it merely a hoax? Henry McDaniel, who lives at the extreme northwest section of this small southern Illinois town, is convinced he saw a strange creature in front of his house late at night last week. Quote, I've been through South America, Africa, and Australia, but I've never seen anything like it, McDaniel said Sunday night of the creature he described as being hairy with two pink eyes and a large head and walking on three legs. Sightseers are converging on Enfield and the Hall Creek Bottoms area in hopes of catching a glimpse of the elusive monster, which McDaniel says he hit with one of four shots from his pistol. However, law enforcement authorities are not particularly worried about being invaded by beings from another planet, or at least they say they're not. Quote, I don't think there's anything to it, State Trooper James Masser said of the McDaniel sighting. Masser was called to the scene about 9.30 p.m. Wednesday by McDaniel, who was reportedly, quote, shaking with fear, according to Masser. Masser admits he may be wrong, but believes the creature McDaniel saw was either a domestic animal or a wild dog. 
anthropologists from several universities in the state are gathering hair specimens and making plaster casts of the six-toed footprints allegedly left by the five-foot-tall creature. A few search parties, armed appropriately with guns, are combing the flooded bottoms area around Enfield in search of the, quote, monster. Results from the anthropologist's report are due Wednesday or Thursday. McDaniel is definite they will coincide with his opinion that the animal is not a bear or a wild dog or a domestic animal. Quote, Your guess is as good as mine. I've never seen anything like it. End quote. He commented. Okay. So you can see here it's described as hairy and less like the goblins, mm. but I don't like the big flashlight eyes. But how big, what kind of a measurement is flashlight size? There are, I mean, from tiny, tiny flashlights. For me, if you describe eyes as flashlights, it yeah. just means they're kind of reflective. Right? I see today, but back in the 70s, I feel like everybody had one flashlight. It took two C batteries and was bigger than a can of Coke in diameter. I don't, this is an interesting question for our listeners. I'm just curious if that's just me, though. So I'm sure we'll be able to discuss this in the Facebook group. So we'll, we'll get into the yeah. flashlight chat there. Oh, and by the way, so they mentioned the legend of Boggy Creek. And it was it was sort of the Blair Witch of its time, wasn't it? And mm. It was, or I should say the original, more of an original Blair Witch. It was a fake documentary from 1972. And it deals with the folk. Is it pronounced folk? F-O-U-K-E? I guess. Folk monster? Like you think it's F-O-L-K. But surprise, F-O-U-K-E, monster. And and that monster is a Bigfoot-like creature from Arkansas. So you see they are already talking different possibilities and different theories. And I'm sure some of you thought just what I thought and probably what Annie thought as well when I first read the description. It sounds like a kangaroo. No, see, I went straight to aliens. I, so I, sorry, I, I did. I went straight to aliens and then... Really? Yeah. And then when you said it's a kangaroo, I was immediately I was, thinking kangaroo. Yeah. yeah. Then I was like, well, yeah, that makes sense. This is why it's good that we're partners in this, because <laughs> true. Yeah. So the third leg could be its tail, right? Yeah. The short arms, the jumping, and an upper body like a human. Like, have you ever seen that video of the kangaroo with the six pack standing outside of the window and <laughs> jumping against the glass? Do you yeah, know what I'm talking about? I do. About? It's really terrifying. It's terrifying. Kangaroos do have an upper body that looks very similar to a human upper body. And they can be scary, like really scary. I wouldn't want to get into an argument with a kangaroo. No, thanks. No. And you know what's funny is I had no idea that kangaroos could be kind of like violent and dangerous until our Facebook group. We have so many amazing shout out to all the Aussies in our Facebook group. I love it when they share anything about their local wildlife, but kangaroos can really be problematic. I wasn't the only one thinking kangaroo because it was apparently immediately one of the most logical theories. Uh, you know, they said it might have been a kangaroo, you know, escaped from a zoo or a circus. But Henry McDaniel said, no, he used to be all over the world, even in Australia when he was in the armed forces. And he said he actually did have a pet kangaroo. Before we started this podcast, I would have said, sure, buddy, you had a pet kangaroo. Like, what a neat little coincidence, right? That you know so much about kangaroos. But we do have a listener who has a pet wallaby, so everything seems possible to me now. Yeah, and I had a friend who had a pet kangaroo for a while, and that was in the 80s. So it happens. And he said something that actually did counter the kangaroo theory. 
that the prints didn't match. And he was right. A kangaroo footprint looks nothing like a dog print with uh, six toes. A kangaroo is more like three toes with claws. Like kangaroos have five fingers. Yeah. Or what you would call fingers on each hand. They look like really big raccoon prints. And four toes on each foot. But the two inner toes are kind of fused into one giant clawy toe, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the prints would not look like six toes at all. And then something happened. Henry McDaniel saw the monster a second time. It was on 6th of May, a Sunday, when around 3am Henry awoke to the sound of barking dogs. I think it was his dogs. Very good boys for sure. And he got out of bed, carefully crept out of the house, his flashlight in hand, and he saw the creature standing in a distance of 15 meters or 50 feet from his house, pretty much in the direction where it had jumped off the first time. It was calmly walking north, away from Henry's house. And I mean, it's 3am, and the thing is clearly someone else's problem for the night, so Henry did the only logical thing. He went back to bed. Later he was quoted, I wasn't scared. I'd like to have it as a pet and charge admission. <laughs> it's something that's there and we've got to accept it. End quote. Any. <laughs> is this man in any way related to you? Because that's almost an anything to say, except you wouldn't turn it into a sideshow attraction. No. Yeah, I, t I, I, I really do want one though, actually. Whatever <laughs> it is, I want it. <laughs> Henry McDaniel also did call a radio station in Kokomo, Indiana, WWKI, a couple of days later to tell them about what he saw. The article also mentioned that looky-loos started to arrive in Enfield trying to find the monster. So they started calling Henry's phone at all hours of the day, and he was ready to just sell the house, pack up his shit, and get as far away from this whole situation as he possibly could. And then people started sleuthing around town. Pretty soon, they found other people in Enfield who reported seeing the monster. On May 8, 1973, the Evansville Courier printed an article titled, quote, Enfield's monster, it's still there, whatever it is. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> if you guys can hear anything in the background, there's like, a, there's like a plane with an advertising banner sort of circling my house. So they're on to me. They know where I live. They're targeting me with ads directly. So this article was again written by Bob Matty, and this is just an excerpt from that article. Quote, Rick Rainbolt, a news director for a Kokomo, Indiana radio station, headed a three-man investigating team that searched the bottomland area around Enfield on Sunday and Monday. Rainbolt said he scanned the area adjacent to McDaniel's house and discovered two different sets of unidentified animal tracks. While he was in Enfield, Rain Rainbolt said he discovered a tendency by most townspeople not to discuss the monster sightings. Nobody wants to talk about this, Rainbolt commented in a telephone interview Monday night. He added, though, that most children in the community are afraid to venture outdoors after nightfall. Rainbolt and an animal expert from Kokomo, Ed Phillips, took plaster casts of footprints, which Rainbolt described as being about four inches in diameter with five or six toe pads. Quote, Ed has no idea what the footprints are, Rainbolt commented. Through some rigorous searching and investigating, Rainbolt was able to locate other people in Enfield who have apparently sighted the same creature as McDaniel saw 
or a similar one. One sighting, which Rainbolt called a, quote, most interesting one, involved Greg Garrett, an 11-year-old boy who lives near the McDaniel home. On the same night as McDaniel made his first sighting, the boy claimed to have gone outside to feed his dogs when, quote, something stepped on his foot and literally shredded his tennis shoes. Rainbolt said no report of the incident was publicly made, but the boy's uncle admitted the youth was, quote, hysterical after the incident occurred. Give the kid a break. If his <laughs> shoes were fucking shredded. Just saying. It continues, quote, The most startling aspect about the incident, Rainbolt felt, was that it happened about 30 minutes to an hour before McDaniel said he saw the creature. Another man who works at the sawmill in Enfield reportedly saw a, quote, furry object in the distance last week, but didn't tell anyone about it until Rainbolt discovered the incident. Still another sighting, which Rainbolt admits stretches the bounds of truth and fiction, involved a young boy who said a hairy arm slipped through his window last week and then backed out again. <laughs> End quote. So, yikes. So for scale, at the, in the middle of that last article, they, they mentioned that the footprints were about four inches in diameter with five or six toe pads. And Johanna mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I was like, I'm terrible at imagining things. So I looked a few things up. And so they're talking about prints with a four-inch diameter and five to six toes. Coyotes are a two-and-a-half-inch max with four toes, so too small. Uh, it's about the right size for some of the larger species of wolf, but it still has the wrong number of toes, right? All the canines have four toes. So mm -hmm. opus might actually have a four-inch footprint, but not the right number of toes. Uh, it's also too big for a bobcat. It could be a younger black bear front footprint if it was only like a partial print. Like, I guess bears kind of walk on their tippy toes sometimes. If they walk mm -hmm. flat-footed, then it almost looks like human footprints. And I thought bear because a bear claw will ruin your tennis shoes, right? But how are you not going to know if there's a bear on you? Like, you're going to know that's I, a... I think a bear would ruin more than your tennis shoes, though, right? Yeah, well, I didn't know if it was just maybe a young one. If it was like a very oh, yeah. young, mm -hmm. you know... Like, did he get away from a situation where mama was nearby? And boy, was yeah. he lucky. But still, you would know it was a bear, right? It's also creepy. It's, it's so kind of creepy. really creepy. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let this sink in for a moment. Marinate in the creepiness. Yes, because yeah. now it's time for a quick break from this week's sponsor, True Crime Cat Lawyer. Hi, everyone. It's Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyer. That's right. I've combined my three favorite things into a podcast, cats, true crime, and lawyering. Every other Thursday, my co-host Winston and I bring you a new case from the Pacific Northwest. Winston is my sassy sidekick with a mustache who can often be found donning a bow tie. In other words, she's my cat. Winston and I are passionate about true crime and we love doing this podcast. As of this recording, we've released over 30 regular episodes and a few bonus episodes. Our episodes are focused on the victims and sharing their stories, something we take a lot of pride in. We're working hard to produce true crime content in an ethical way. Plus, Every quarter, Winston and I donate our ad proceeds and Patreon proceeds to a true crime or animal-related nonprofit organization. If you're from the Pacific Northwest or you just enjoyed true crime, Winston and I would love for you to check out our show. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Good Pods. We hope you'll join us for some true crime in the Pacific Northwest. 
I can think of like 50 people in the podcast, in the Facebook group that are immediately signing up Same. for True Crime Same. Cat Lawyer. I think I don't even have to say, please go and check out Elise's podcast uh, because it has true crime and Winston the Cat. What more could your heart desire? Nothing. All right, where were we? Henry saw the monster a second time. The radio station people show up with a bunch of experts making air quotes. Uh, no, they were real experts, the best of the best. And they figure out that more people saw the monster already. It seems, though, that after only a couple of days, the whole thing started to become too much for the good people of Enfield, Illinois. The more the incident was in the press, the more monster hunters arrived, equipped with flashlights, cameras, alcohol, and guns. There was one incident when a group of monster hunters started to, you know, fire shots randomly out there in the woods. Yeah, I don't think people were really careful about firing guns. No. No. And people started to get worried that sooner or later the looky-loos would start shooting, you know, either their livestock or someone would get really hurt or even killed. Yeah. So they told Henry McDaniel, listen, you have to stop this nonsense now. Please stop giving interviews. Stop calling radio stations. Not one more word about the monster or else. So we found this article and I just have to read you some parts of it. my favorite thing ever. It's, <laughs> it's the best. The best. And it describes the whole situation pretty well. It's a little bit lengthy, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it's really, it's too good not to share it with you. So this was printed in the Reading Eagle on uh, August 22nd, 1973. And the title of the article is, quote, Monster is poo-pooed. So in the beginning, the article describes the events of the night when Henry McDaniel first saw the monster. And it also explains that he saw it a second time. And then it continues on saying, quote, Well, you'd think that with a critter like this running around loose, the whole town of Enfield, population 750, about 30 miles from Kentucky, as the crow flies, would either be shivering in their shorts behind locked doors or else fielding a small army to go out and look for it. Not so. In fact, nobody is really doing anything because nobody, well, almost nobody, believes Henry. To find out how the townspeople feel about Henry's monster, you don't have to do much except sit. Somebody will bring it up. Quote, I hate to dispute somebody's word on something like that, says the waitress at the Echo Cafe and Motel, but I doubt it. The Echo Cafe and Motel looks to be just about the most modern business in Enfield, and it isn't really in Enfield, but is a mile south of town at the intersection of routes 45 and 460. Has all the excitement helped business any? Nah, not a bit, she said with a disgruntled shake of her head. You'd think it would have, though, wouldn't you? I think it's about all over now anyway. I heard the sheriff told him he better not be seeing any more monsters out there or he'd be off to the funny farm, and somebody said he's left town. End quote. Someone else asked her if they'd caught the monster yet. Quote, no, but if we do, we're going to butcher him and eat him. End quote. White County Sheriff Roy Poshard Jr., a young sheriff with thick, muscular arms and chest, is a little more sure of himself. Quote, No, there ain't a damn thing to it, he says flatly. I let all that stuff go on until he got people with guns out there. Then I went out and told him, If I hear any more from you out here, I'm hauling you in. He did haul in five, quote, unquote, monster hunters on May 8th and find them for hunting violations. Nothing, especially monsters, is in season now, according to Poshard. 
but the sheriff is in the White County seat of Carmi, 11 miles away. End quote. So that's our favorite article so far ever, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, people were pretty upset about the whole thing. They blamed Henry. They started to make fun of him and his wife. And they even made up little poems mocking him and the whole story. So mean. Some of the kids who had stated that they too had seen the creature came forward admitting that they had just said it to make fun of old Mr. McDaniel, who was 50, by the way. Yeah. The whole thing died down soon afterwards. We don't know what became of the McDaniel family. I read somewhere that they had indeed left Anfield, but I can't be 100% sure. If he stayed, I'm sure it must have been so hard for him and his wife. The mystery of the Anfield monster was never solved. If the creature had really existed, what could it have been? So, let's talk theories, shall we? Let's. So, theory one, we talked about it, a kangaroo. The description matches, somewhat. The footprints didn't match a kangaroo, and Henry had stated that it definitely wasn't a kangaroo. However, there was a man who came forward who said that a kangaroo was actually missing from his private zoo. The problem with all of this is I just don't know who to believe. Because Henry would have known if it was a kangaroo, right? This wasn't the 1870s. This is the 1970s. People knew what kangaroos looked and like. And he said he, he has been in Australia for a while, so... Yeah, exactly. And... Also, if all the people in the town were acting like he was making this all up for publicity or something, right, then, yeah, somebody would say, oh, it, this was my escaped kangaroo, just to dismiss his claim and, yeah. you know, or maybe Henry was full of malarkey and it was a kangaroo, but I just, I have a hard time believing that. I don't, I don't know. Second theory, some think it was ape-like. So, the radio host from WWKI, who had led an expedition of a form, into the forest claimed that they truly had encountered the monster. It was standing in an abandoned building, not too far from Henry McDaniel's home, and it looked somewhat like a bent-over ape to them. Uh, they also claimed to have made a recording of his hissing and screeching sounds. Mm -mm. I looked, I really looked. I don't think that that recording, if it even ever existed, is out there on the internet. But Rick Rainbolt which you heard before in the article that was the name of the radio host, claimed that he had a cryptozoologist named Lauren Coleman uh, with him that day out there in the woods. And uh, Lauren Coleman also listened to the recording. Coleman is well known in the cryptozoology world. He has written over 40 books on different mysterious creatures. And he came to the conclusion that the Enfield monster could have been an Illinois swamp slob. Yeah, <laughs> so good old swamp slob. Yeah, you know. Yeah, which is an ape-like creature that had been seen and smelled several times over the decades in Illinois. I think it's similar to the Mississippi skunk ape or swamp ape. Mm. In the Herald and Review from 15th of May 1973, people could read the following, quote, Former city men believes in monsters. A former Decatur man's belief in monsters had made national news. Lauren E. Coleman Jr., 25, now an anthropology student at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign received considerable publicity over the weekend. A national wire service picked up his account of what it quickly dubbed the Anfield Monster. The monster, reportedly sighted and shot at by 50-year-old Henry McDaniel on April 25th, may be a type of Anthropoid, Coleman told the wire service, quote, 
These are not the first such monster sightings, he said, and they won't be the last, end quote. He plans to search for the creature on weekends, end quote. So, uh, just for your information, the skunk ape is also known in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama, and it's a Bigfoot-like creature, but smaller than Bigfoot. Yes, I have heard of the skunk ape and the swamp ape. I just hadn't heard of the swamp slob, which is... I feel like the swamp slob sometimes. Yeah, same. Uh, what do you think about the theory? Um, that I don't understand the three legs then, because the, the skunk ape doesn't have three legs. <laughs> Okay, but what if it's just a really well-endowed boy ape? <gasps> Jesus, Annie. <laughs> I only just got back from my dog's neuter consult, so I have animal bits on my mind. That's the only explanation I can think of, though, and I don't think. Speaking of apes, of ape-like, uh, let's, come, let's get to the next theory, yeah. please, before... <laughs> Some <laughs> believe that the creature was indeed an ape, or a dog, or a deer, or... A wildcat, name an animal, it was definitely considered to be the Enfield monster at one point. Yeah, yeah. And if the prints were real, it narrows it down somewhat. But then again, these cases just make it really tricky. There are elements that are very sort of Bigfooty, you know, Yeti, mm. skunk ape, that would make sense. And there are still elements that kind of remind me of the goblins. I, mm. hmm, I don't know, maybe... Another theory, aliens. Mm -hmm. I mean, he said he thinks it's not from that planet. Could it have been aliens? I don't know. I don't think so. Do, do we know? I mean, Chewbacca was an alien and he was hairy. He was. I don't know. It's We can't say no for sure. Or yes for sure. So, I mean, probably not aliens. But who can say? Now, the most commonly accepted theory to this day seems to be that the Anfield monster never really existed. And that all the sightings, aside from the kids who were mocking Henry McDaniel, was a result of social contagion. Mm. So in 1978, the whole event was researched by members of the Western Illinois University, and they realized that there were only three first-hand accounts of the sightings of the creature. Henry's, the radio team's, and the neighbor boy's account. Every other story was just kind of, you know, a heard of a friend of a friend, you know, his second cousin kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they concluded their research, quote, In this area of southern Illinois, it is not unreasonable to assume Mr. M or the radio news team had actually seen an animal. People we interviewed framed the recent events in these terms. Their accounts admitted the possibility that large dogs, calves, bears, deer and wildcats had been sighted. Some frames suggested that an exotic pet, such as an ape or a kangaroo, was the catalyst for the monster reports. Finally, some people tactfully suggested that Mr. M had a notoriously overactive imagination and had probably been shooting at shadows. In any event, we interviewed only one person who agreed with Mr. M's claim that he had indeed seen, quote, a monster from outer space, end quote, and end quote. The Anfield monster to this day is often used as an example of social contagion alongside the Salem witch trials and the dancing plague. Oh, that's another interesting case. We still need to do the dancing plague. Yeah, it's so on the list. It is. Yeah, that whole case is just so interesting to me and enjoyable and the articles are wonderful and I hope you all enjoyed it. Nobody was really hurt. I mean, they mocked Mr. McDaniel. That's not nice. Don't do that. But 
Nobody yeah. was really hurt except for a pair of tennis shoes. Yep. And it was just a lighthearted uh, episode. Yeah, no, that's, that's just the best. Yeah. <laughs> How about something good? What you got going on? On Friday, we had kind of a very horrible hail and thunderstorm going on here in my little town. And it was really bad. Like trees broke, lie on the street and water and mud was everywhere. That's not my something good. My something good is that the whole community came together that day and the next day and they all worked together to clean everything up and everybody was just really pulling together. And I love that kind of community that I have here now in this little town. I, I'm so happy to live here. I really, every single day, I'm happy. Oh, that's so great. I love it. I loved it when you sent me the videos and there was somebody out there with a, like a, like a, I'm trying to think what you would call it like a dump truck with a digger on the front. So you scoop up earth and, you know, move it or whatever. And he was moving water, I think, toward the mud, toward mm -hmm. mud and water off the, yeah. And you were like, oh, yeah, that's the mayor. And I was like, yeah. that's awesome. It's true. I love that. I think that's so great. So great. I'm glad nobody was hurt. My something good is my niece and nephew will be here today. So I'm super, super excited to see them and spend a little bit of time with them. It's hard living away, farish away from, yeah. you know, people you love, especially the kids. They change so fast. Oh, we also, I mentioned earlier, so we, we met the surgeon today who's going to be doing opus. It's time for his neuter and he's going to have something done called a gastropexy. And that is something that is done to, it's a hopeful preventative from something that can happen in deep chested dogs, even little ones though, like basset hounds, It happens with horses too, where you can get bloat, which is pretty common and can be dangerous, but then you can get the stomach twisted on itself. And that is really a bad situation. Yeah. It's mm. the, the, once that happens, it's really not in your favor that they're going to survive. So we're having this surgery done just to hopefully make sure that never happens to him. And we met the surgeon who we were both really happy talking to. So that was great. And Opus had his first big fireworks show, and he loved it. He liked watching all of the fireworks. Yeah. The only time he got upset was occasionally like a small child would like cry or, and he immediately wanted to run to where the crying child was. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a soother, that one. If you're cry, if there's like a crying child, he will come right for you to, he'll clean those tears oh, off of like his Lila. tongue. <laughs> yeah. Mm. He needs to stop it. So yeah, so that was good. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes or all of our episodes, please do us the huge favor, go to your podcast app and uh, leave us a rating and or review. We got so many lovely reviews again lately. We read them all. Don't worry. And we're getting so close to Annie's podcast goal. <sighs> About my podcast goal, that's uh, winning the People's Choice Podcast Award in the history category. That would be my dream. So please, 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 please go to podcastawards.com and vote for us. Please use a valid email address. Please check the box that you can be considered for voting in the second round. And cross your fingers. Please. That we make it to the final round. That would be so great. It would be really. wonderful. Yeah. So exciting. If you have any questions, you want to know how to find us or where to listen to us, go to our website. That is freshhellpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook. We have a really, really fantastic 
just the nicest group on the internet, our Facebook group. We discuss, obviously, we have an album for each of our episodes where you'll find our sources and photographs, and we discuss cases. We also discuss our pets a lot. We discuss real estate and share insane real estate and just interesting historical tidbits. It's just a, it's just a fun space to be in. I, I promise it's, it, it's, it's just good. as random as our podcast yeah. and our Patreon. It's true. It's true. Our merch you can get on Teespring. You can also find, of course, the link to where to purchase that on our website. Patreon, you can also find on our website. Again, that's freshhellpodcast.com for merch, Patreon, contact info. You can also go to patreon.com and search Fresh Hell Podcast. We have different tiers available. I am, as we speak, working on little notes and putting together pin packages for everybody that's still been waiting on pins. Those are going to go out uh, Monday, I believe. And so, fingers crossed, they arrive this time. Uh, yeah, come say hi. If you'd like, what else? Please tell your pets we said hi. Your kangaroos, your crows, your apes, your uh, swamp slobs, your skunk apes. Yeah. All of them. Uh, we love them. We miss them. Please hug them, cuddle them for us. Even if they are overdramatic like Jam was today while I was trying to cut his nails, it's fine. They are still the best pets out there. Be kind to them. Be kind to your fellow human being and be kind to yourself. And that's it. That's all. Just those, just those things. Thank you very much. And if you're going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.